It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Subscribe to the Astros Podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCullers. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is lined in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Maid Park. For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. And welcome back to another episode of Astropod. I'm your host today. I'm Steve Sparks. And well, I, I thought instead of trying to guess when and where right now, we bring in somebody. If you really think about it, it's been around the Astros team and organization about as much as anybody in the last, I'd say, 20 years, and that's the writer who covers the Astros for MLB.com, and of course, that's Brian McTaggart. Come on in, Brian. Hey, what's going on, guys? Not Sparky, much, how Dad. you doing? How, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, doing well. Just uh, longing for baseball like like everybody else. Are you really longing for baseball? Are you ready to get back to work, uh, or get to the ballpark every day, things like that? Yeah, I am. And on uh, on Father's Day, I watched Field of Dreams. And, uh, you know, when James Earl Jones is going into his uh, sol- soliloquy there about baseball and how great it is. And if I had reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines, they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they watched the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that at the brush them away from their faces. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. Baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. And it could be again. I was like, man, it'd be nice to be at the ballpark and smell the grass and the, the, the yeah. smells of the ballpark. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, this is a time of year where, you know, baseball would be the only sport going on right now in, in, the, in the United States pretty much. You know, NBA would be over, NFL would be a month or two away, and uh, focus would be on baseball. So, yeah, I definitely miss it. In your personal life, Brian, how, how different has this summer been without the travel? Yeah, it's been totally different. I mean, it's it's been really good in a way. You know, my family, we've all been together pretty much since uh since mid-March. I mean, my right. oldest daughter has been home from college the whole time and uh, you know, everybody's been off work and at home and we we've, we've been together for for months on end and it you know, really unexpected, but it's also been really good for us just to spend time together that we didn't expect and uh you know spend we spend every day together and you know it's it's been challenging at times trying to find things to do or 
you know, right. cooking meals every night. Like, man, we gotta we gotta come up with another meal tonight because usually we're always on the go and maybe there's no dinner and everyone's eating out. But but all in all, it's been good. But yeah, I mean, I think everybody's ready for life to return to normal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing is you and I have had enough conversations. Uh, well, at least I know that we know that we've missed a lot of activities or events that our that our kids have done. You you've been able to you know, schedule around some of that, but you're, you're always going to miss some of that stuff. So, uh, at least, you know, especially with your oldest daughters graduating high school this year, you've gotten the chance to, to be with them at a crucial time, right? Yeah, no doubt. It was going to be a big spring because, you know, they had a lot of stuff going on as, as seniors and they, they missed a lot of stuff, their prom and senior award show. And, but we did get to, uh, you know, have a graduation ceremony and, uh, you know, my oldest was supposed to be off at college and she came home, but, but all in all, the chance for us all to be together like this, I think is, and probably for the last time, because once they're all gone to college, you know, who knows what happens. I mean, you know that pretty well, Sparky. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I'm cherishing every moment of it for sure. What fueled that, that love of sports for you? You grew up in Houston. Uh, was it your dad? Yeah, I think so. My dad was a huge sports fan. Um, you know, he was born and raised in Ireland and was a huge soccer fan so when we came over to this country I was really little uh, we, we uh, settled in Pasadena um, I think just out of curiosity he decided to go go find out what what baseball was about it was probably really cheap back then well it was really cheap back then we're talking the late 70s you could probably get in for a buck or two um, the Astrodome was only you know six seven miles away from our house so um, I can envision him just dragging me in the car and, and let's go see what the Astrodome's all about. And I do remember going to an Astros game probably, oh, 77, 78. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember, I remember they were playing the Dodgers, I think, because Steve Garvey was, I remember. Dusty Baker. Yeah, Dusty Baker, yeah. Steve Garvey, I think, was on a cereal box that I had at home. And I was like, <laughs> that guy, I just saw that guy doing something down there. And so it kind of stuck with me, but. I played I played soccer growing up my whole life. My dad was my coach, but we always watched baseball. And you know the Astros were in the NL West back then. So kind of like now, all the games started late, and back then they started at nine thirty. So, um, you know, we sit there and watch Astros, Dodgers, Astros, Giants, nine thirty till midnight or, or twelve thirty, and right, you know that was yeah. just what we did every night. What was the Astrodome like for for an eight or ten year old Brian McTaggart? That had to be wondrous magical i remember i remember walking in and immediately looking up like everybody does like you look up at that roof the sounds it was just so unique the scoreboard yeah just it was mesmerizing and um i couldn't get enough of it as i grew older you know my friends and stuff wanted to go to astro world or the movies and if the astros were at home that's where i was going i was you know three dollar tickets get in park for three bucks i could get in and out of there for 10 bucks that's where i wanted to go and I, I do remember times me and my dad on a friday or whatever i'd get off school and we'd look at the paper to see who's pitching and you know mike scott's pitching tonight okay we're going so you know no ryan's pitching tonight so we definitely wanted to go to that one we would go to four or five games a month, I think. So Tags, you are like a lot of people who, who would love to look at those pitching matchups and show up when Nolan or, or Mike Scott would be pitching, but were any of the Astros position players, were you drawn to any of those guys in particular? Yeah, definitely Terry Poole, because when I started watching the Astros in 77, 78, you know, he had just gotten there. So he, he was somebody I had watched for years and, you know, was such a good hitter too, just a, yeah. a left-handed hitter, just such a beautiful swing. and. 
when we started going to games, we sat in the outfield for the most part, and he played center and right. So he was one of the players I could actually see up close. So uh, um, he was he always resonated with me. And I actually interviewed him years later. And like, uh, you know, he told me when I introduced myself and who I was, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I read your stuff. And I was like, holy cow, Terry Poole. Like I that grew cool? up. Yeah, stuff like that is really cool. Um, but yeah, in the 80s, you know, I was a big Bill Doran fan. You know, obviously, uh, he, he was a two time MVP for the team in the 80s and was just, uh, you know, one of their big players on that memorable 86 team. But the, the 86 team was just, you know, I, I could just a team that I remember so vividly and so many of those games. So I went to so many of those games and uh, so many of those players. I mean, I, you know, I could tell you the, the batting order and, and probably uh, imitate every one of their batting stances to this day. It was just. <laughs> It was just something, you know, about that team, you know, picked, supposed to finish last place and and probably should have got to the World Series and won it, but, um, you know, lost to the Mets. It was just, you know, such a memorable and, and vivid memory just going to the ballpark in 86 and, and watching every one of those games. They were so good. That's funny. During this pandemic, have you gotten a chance to watch any of the AT&T Sports Southwest uh, replays of some of those teams back in 80 and 86? Yeah, I tried to watch as much as that 80 NLCS as I could because, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I was I was like 10 years old when that happened. And, you know, I've read about it and sort of had memories, but just an incredible that whole week of baseball. I, I don't think people realize probably one of the most incredible weeks in Astros history because they go into the final week of the regular season with a three game lead over the Dodgers. And you had to win the division back then or you were out. That was it. I mean, there was no wild card. You win the division or you go home. So. They have a three-game lead over the Dodgers going to Dodger Stadium, and they get swept. And now, after 162 games, they're tied with the Dodgers. So they have to have a one-game playoff on Monday to decide who goes to the NLCS and who goes home. And then, you know, Art Howe has the big game. Joe Necro pitches really well. They beat the Dodgers. And the next day, they're in Philadelphia for game one of the uh, NLCS. And it is just a war with the Phillies. Yeah, all exhausted to begin with. Had to be. And then they end up, you know, losing the first game. And then I watched the entire second game last week. And, you know, they pull that one out in extra innings and, and have a day off. And even the announcers, it was great. It was Howard Cosell. It yeah. was, uh, oh, uh, Don Drysdale. Don Keith Drysdale Jackson. and Keith Jackson. They were talking about how tired the Astros must be and how, wow, they're going to get this win, go home and have a day off. And then that series, it was best of five back then, but four of the games go extra innings. And, man, just. You know, again, it was it, it was a what if for the Astros. What if, you know, J.R. Richard didn't get hurt halfway through the season? What if Cesar Cedeno didn't get hurt in that series? Right. You know, they beat the Phillies. They probably win the World Series if they have J.R. Richard. So there was a lot of heartache as a Houston sports fan in the around the early 80s with the Oilers and the, the Astros in 80 and then U of H basketball and, and losing the final fours three years in a row. So I, I was really scarred by the time I was 16. So, <laughs> You know, as glorious as the Astrodome was, man, there's a lot of sad faces uh, walking out of, uh, out of that beautiful building in, in all through those years. When did you, I mean, the Astrodome, the Astros, the Oilers, and all those U of H, all those teams kind of fueled your love for sports. Of course, with the encouragement of your dad, but, but when did you know that you had a gift in, in writing? Well, I don't know. I, I didn't really. I mean, I look back on it. I, I remember when I was uh, like early teenager, I would stay up and I, I would watch Sports Center late at night, and I had like this whiteboard, 
and I would write all the scores uh, from all the games, you know, till the, the West Coast games were done at 1 a.m. I'd write them on a whiteboard and I would put some comments at the bottom of it and I would leave it on the kitchen table. So my dad got up at, you know, 5 a.m. to go work in the, the chemical plant, the refineries. So you, you were his personal beat writer. Yeah, he had, he probably walked in and was like, gosh, what's wrong with this kid? I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> so I had all this information on this whiteboard for him that he probably didn't care about one bit. But uh, so looking back on that, I was like, man, this stuff, you know, this, I kind of did this kind of stuff. But as far as writing goes, I, I went to U of H to be, uh, you know, like a broadcaster. You know, I grew up like listening to Gene Elston and then Milo. And we would, one of the highlights of going to Astros games was we would, um, especially if they had an exciting win, we would go back to the car as quickly as we could and turn on the, the recap where they're recapping, Milo's recapping the highlights. We wanted to hear how he called the walk-off win or whatever. No kidding. So, yeah. So I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a broadcaster. But when I was at U of H, I got a, a part-time job at the Houston Post newspaper working in the sports department, doing all kinds of stuff. And at some point they said, you know, do you want to, you know, help us write some stuff? And so I kind of started writing. And next thing I know, I was so far advanced writing in my career ahead of anything else broadcasting wise that, um, you know, writing sort of became the path that I would take. And, and I just sort of took off from there. What was that story that you told me one time tagged about covering some little league team? I'd covered high school sports for a long time and I was getting close to turning 30. And I told myself, I told my wife, like, you know, if I hit 30, I'm still covering high school sports, you know, it's probably not, you know, I'm ready to do something more. And if my goal is to not be covered. Yeah, exactly. So the summer I was about to turn 30, they, you know, they told me, Hey, they're this team from Houston. They were from uh, Bel Air was going to the little league world series, uh, you know, go up there and cover them. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I go up to the little league world series and that is an unbelievable event. I mean, I was blown away and really? that team. Yeah. Just, uh, the magnitude of it, the amount of fans, the whole town. Um, it was amazing. And so the team from Bel Air goes all the way to the, they win the U.S. championship, goes, goes all the way to the final. I think they lose to Venezuela, I think, in the final three to two, something like that. But um, I had a chance to have a lot of eight stories on the front page of the Chronicle. A, they call them A1 stories. Um, and I think I, you know, opened some eyes about what I could do and, I came home from Williamsport and they told me, uh, yeah, okay, you're going to cover something else. So, um, they, uh, they put me on rice to cover rice university and I got to cover them winning college world series. That great Oh three team they have with, uh, yeah. Philip Umber and, uh, Neiman and Townsend. Yeah. yeah. David Arjma. And then, and yeah, then after that I covered the Astros. So I just think covering that little league world series sort of, uh, was my chance to kind of show everybody, you know, what I could do on a, on a bigger stage. Cause those stories, that was a big deal. Those stories were really dis displayed prominently at the Chronicle. So, so what was it like covering rice with Wayne Graham and that storied program? Uh, I mean, that was it. That was a, a more regular type gig for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, I, uh, I, Wayne Graham was, was tremendous to me and man, so much baseball knowledge. And yeah. I, and those teams were so good. I mean, that 03 Rice team was just a juggernaut. They started 33 and 1. Oh uh, I mean, God. they were, yeah, and they, I think they had won 30 in a row. And it got to the point we were going to start traveling to all their games. It was a big story in college baseball. They were ranked number one, and they were just beating everybody. Midweek games, they would sweep the weekend series. They're, they had three first round draft picks in their pitching staff, actually, four yeah, with the closer. 
But Wayne Graham, uh, I would go in his office, I think, every Monday or Tuesday and just sit there and talk baseball. He was so accommodating. And I was intimidated by him at first because I heard stories about, you know, he could he could really be tough on the players. Right. But he was great to me. And, um, you know, I had I had several funny encounters with him. I, I do remember one game where they lost and I go down there on the field and the entire team is just sitting in the dugout and he's walking up and down the dugout, uh, really letting them have it. I mean, I think they were like, you know, 48 and four at the time. It just wasn't good enough, you know? Um, and then, you know, he ran the same batting order out there every day during that 30 game winning streak, same order. And here I am thinking I have all the answers, you know, I'm looking at the stats and okay. The, the guy that's hitting second has a on base percentage way ahead of the guy hitting leadoff. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to ask Wayne if he ever thinks about switching up the top two guys in his batting order. Right. So I ask him that and he like, he stands up and looks at me. He's like, we've won 27 in a row. I'm not changing a damn thing. I'm like, good point. Uh, (laughs) And then, after they after that winning streak gets snapped, you know the next game. Of course, he flip flops those top two guys in the order. So, no uh, I was yeah. So when they won the World Series, I was very happy for him because, you know, I know how badly he wanted it, and they had been to the World Series so many times, and and they beat Texas to they beat Texas to get to the championship game. So it, it was a lot of fun, a lot of good memories covering that Rice team. So when we were in spring training this year, and Dusty Baker begins to get all the the questions about George Springer hitting leadoff, maybe moving him down in the order. Do you think back to, to questions like that, that you would ask Wayne Graham and say, Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Oh, absolutely. And even, even, uh, once I started covering the Astros and, and Phil Garner was, he was so good about that too. If I asked a dumb question, he would give me uh, he would give me a great answer on the record. And then later on, he would come over to me and kind of explain to me why, why I asked a dumb question, but, uh, and lay it out for me. But yeah, Garner was so good to work with. But And w- one of the things I learned from Garner is just how well-prepared these managers are. And it's even more so nowadays, especially you know when Hinch got there and just how everything is so well thought out. And it's not like they, they, they pull lineups out of their hats or whatever. They have a reason for everything and a reason why why everyone bats where they do. And it, it, it just... In, they, uh, it makes a lot of sense, and Gard did a real job explaining that to us as writers. And uh, but yeah, Wayne Graham was the same way. So um, these guys have their reasons, and you know, part of it's you know there is some superstition in a lot of baseball, but um, yeah. there's so many numbers and so much data now that you know everything is pretty formulated about the way they want to do things. That's the thing I, I kind of get to because you know AJ was was a friend of mine and a former teammate and things like that, but I felt like. You know, you had to ask the questions, but you didn't want to really assume that you knew more than him because he knew his players so much better than us on a daily basis. He knew what was in their their mind and their psyche. Do you ever think about that when you're asking some of these questions? Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of times that I know the answer, like if I see the lineup some way, there's been a change to the lineup. I'm like, well, it's probably happened because of this. But I have to ask, I have to ask AJ to, or whoever's manager to find out because it yeah. might not be the case. So... When I ask that, it, you know, it'll come across as an obvious question, and I get the answer I expected. So you feel he kind of dumb at times. But AJ was so good about, you know, being so professional that he knew he knew we were going to ask things and and why we had to ask them. But yeah, uh, or a guy was, you know, a guy had played two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row without a day off, Jose Altuve, and he's out of the lineup. I'm thinking, well, you know, he definitely wants to rest him. Right. But I have to ask why Jose Altuve is out of the lineup. You know, maybe he's injured or sick or something, and. 
and you know AJ would tell us these guys are are men, not machines. And yeah. so, but, but of course ask, I have got to ask case. just in case, or because then. Then the next day, they'll, you know, if, if Jose Altuve or whoever is injured, AJ will be like, well, I'm surprised nobody asked me about that. So, yeah, and you look I, foolish. Right. Hey, do your three daughters like sports? I'm just kind of curious because, <laughs> I mean, that you've spilled your life into this, but do they do they like sports? Um, not really. Uh, I mean, they, they really won't watch, I don't think. If there's a big game they'll watch, I mean, they went to the World Series games and got into it and were, you know, really crushed when they lost. I mean, I think they were going to be more excited to, if they had, if the Astros had beaten the Nationals to, they were just excited to go to Academy and get a shirt that night. Right. But, uh, um, you know, my oldest daughter played softball throughout her life and through high school. Um, I had a daughter play golf. I mean, they, they dabbled in a little bit of everything as kids, right. soccer and swimming and, it's but just more social though, right? Yeah, more social, just, you know, no one did anything at a really high level. It just, you know, they were more involved in dance and, and other things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, if there's sports on, I'm, you know, usually, you know, watching it, you know, by myself, but I'll, I'll drag them to sporting events. But, you know, they, you know, if I don't do it too much, they'll enjoy it. But, I, uh, but yeah, they're, they're not huge sports fans, no. I'm talking with Brian McTaggart of MLB.com. And Brian, t talking about, asking a question that you think you know the answer to. I'm going to ask you one here and man, I think 101% I, I know the answer to this, but what's changed the most uh, writing or covering a team in the last 20 years? Well, I think, you know, obviously the, the way the game is played with the analytics and all that, you know, that has, you know, seeped its way into our coverage as well. We write about that a lot now. I mean, that was something, you know, in the 2003, 2004, you know, launch angle, all, all that stuff was not was not anything that anybody talked about at all or, or even thought about. It was uh -huh. you would hear hear players and managers talk about wanting to hit the ball hard and hit it back up the middle. Um, so, you know, now with especially with StatCast coming on a few years ago, I mean, that's something we you know is prominently in, in a lot of our stories, uh, you know, especially at MLB.com. We're, we're heavy into that stuff. So the analytical stuff that that the, the teams use, you know, we use it really uh, as well on stories. Um, you know, also our, our stories have, have gotten shorter and, and we do a lot of lists and we do a lot of, you know, little subheads and, and sort of quick hit things that. What's the reason you know, for that? Well, I think attention spans just aren't what they used to be. And, okay. and also now the games, our game stories are different. I, I really don't write a story about what happened in the game anymore. I, I take out a, pick out a key point in the game and sort of extract that and focus on that because everybody's watched the game. You click on all the highlight, all that stuff is so easy to get. They don't need a, a thousand word story recap in the game when you can do that by watching the highlights or all the stats. So we have, we sort of have to change our focus on what we write about the game that people can't get elsewhere. And so we'll, we'll pull out maybe a key play or a moment or a stat uh, and kind of make that the focus of, uh, you know, what happens for our, for our game stories. But, you know, stories have gotten shorter, but, you know, maybe more of them and, and stories filed in game. You know, if Jose Altuve hits three home runs in the game one of the ALDS, you know, that, that instantly is a story you write in game. Instead of back in the old days, you would just wait till after the game and, and write it post game. But no, you have to have that story on the website as quickly as you can. So, the internet, uh, you know, coming on huge, mobile. Everyone's got mobile devices now, and uh, Statcast and all the analytics have, have really changed the way we approach the game as well. Well, you know, I thought your answer was going to be more uh, toward the social media bit. So uh, that's interesting. You know, you bring up some points that I've really never had 
had thought about. Um, you ever show up to the ballpark, especially when you had those deadlines or you weren't just covering one little aspect of the game where you were totally blank on an idea for a story and, and were walking into the building kind of in a, a stressful manner? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about stressful. I mean, I think one of the things I like about covering baseball is that when when you walk into the building, when I get there at 2.30 or 3, um, I really have no idea what I'm going to write that day um, because the game is just such a day-to-day game. that. So that's more uh, common than uncommon, huh? Yeah. It's kind of a, every day is a blank slate. Now, you have some pregame things you want to check on, you know, what's going on with injuries or, you know, why does the lineup look like this? But uh, when the game starts, you just have to sit back and kind of let the game dictate what you write. And that's what I like about it. You know, covering football, you know, you get that on a Sunday or a Saturday if it's college. And then, every, you know, all week you have to come up with story ideas and things to write about. The baseball, you come to the ballpark with a blank slate and it's all dictated on the game. And at the end of that day, um, you know, you wash it away and you come back the next day walking into the ballpark with a, a blank slate again. But sometimes I come to the park and I have a long checklist of things I need to get answered when I'm in the clubhouse pregame. Some days I come and I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to ask A.J. Hinch today so, or whoever, or Dusty Baker or whoever the manager is. And so you sort of go down the pregame media avail- availability and, and, you know, just kind of wait and see what goes on. But there's some days I go down there with four or five questions. And, uh, you know, it just depends on the time of the year and the importance of the games and, you know, what's going on with the club. So the broadcast crew is covering the team much in the same manner that you guys are, but uh, we're very spoiled because we, we travel with the team and you guys have it much different where you have to uh, make your own schedule, your own arrangements, uh, give people a little idea how difficult travel can be for you. Yeah, it can be tough. Um, yeah, we do have to make our own arrangements. So um, the most challenging part is uh, after a series. So let's say let's say the Astros are in Seattle for, for three games and, you know, I'll fly up to Seattle on a, on a Thursday um, you know, they play Seattle Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If they're back in Houston on Monday, um, I really, by the time I get done writing my story and get out of the ballpark in Seattle, it's six thirty-seven. I really don't have time. There really aren't any flights to get home to Houston because of the time change on Sunday night. So you spend the extra night while you guys are flying home immediately after the game. Right. We spend the extra night in the city. And then I get up Monday morning really early fly to Houston for, you know, a four hour flight with a time change. And, you know, you land at two and you go right to the ballpark and that that's a long day and that's, that's a tough day. And, um, so there, you know, there are many days that stuff like that happens or, um, you know, you guys leave right after a getaway day at home and, you know, we have to wait till the next day, you know, fly into the city the day of the game. Um, and there have been times where you just don't make it. If you're going West coast to sent to, you know, Seattle to Arlington or, yeah, anything like that. It's just it's just tough logistically to make it. And there are some cities where there just aren't really good, you know, uh, non uh, I guess nonstop flights. I remember one time going from I think it was Baltimore to uh, Minnesota, and there was no easy way to get there. And I ended up we just agreed we were all going to show up at five o'clock and right before game, and we were going to have to skip the pregame access just because we couldn't get there in time. And you know, so that kind of stuff happens, but. You know, the good side, good side is we get 
the benefit of the you know stacking up our miles and points and stuff like that oh, but yeah, uh, that's right. yeah. yeah it's definitely a grind when you have to rely on commercial travel and you know there's inevitably delays and, and things like that or, or you know flights get canceled and you're kind of left out in the cold so you talk about some of the perks of stacking up your your mileage points and things like that but isn't that one of the last things you want to do in the off season is travel very true very true yeah uh, yeah you know, what do you where do you want to go in the offseason? Like nowhere, especially after covering the playoffs, because I mean, that is like 40 days in a row without a day off. And the travel in the playoffs is really brutal because you don't know, you know, game to game if you're going to be traveling. I, I remember, you know, the Pujols home run um, off Brad Lidge in, in 05 and that memorable home run in that game five. I, I vividly remember my first instinct was to get on you i guess it was continental.com then continental airlines website and book a flight to st louis because everybody in the world was about to do the same thing so i, I think Pujols was rounding the bases and i was already looking at available flights the next day to fly okay. to st louis for game six so that's just kind of the way kind of the way we think hey do you i mean you're you're good at it i'll, I'll preface this question with that but do you love social media or, or do you kind of secretly hate it and what are some of the do's and don'ts yeah, uh, I guess both. I love it and I hate it. I mean, I, I definitely rely on Twitter a lot now for to be my source, just source of news, the, the my stream, the things I follow. I mean, that's kind of where I go in the mornings instead of, you know, 20 years ago, picking up the newspaper and flipping through it. Now I get on Twitter, scroll various sites and see what's going on. Um, but for me, I the way I approach it personally is I, I try to keep it as much about baseball as I can. You know, I you know, I do throw a lot of University of Houston nonsense on there because I'm a UH fan. But, you know, I try to keep as much personal stuff out of it as I can, especially, you know, when it comes to politics and stuff like that. I just oh, think yeah. people family. don't. Family. Yeah, I, I think people are there for Astros. And, and, you know, every now and then I'll do a little I'll tweet about a, you know, brag about a kid or whatever. But no one wants to hear what I have to think on politics or anything else on baseball. I mean, that's not what they're there for. So I try to keep it strictly baseball as much as I can. I try to have fun with it as well, but, um, um, you know, you, you definitely want to be sure what you're tweeting. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I'm very careful about what I tweet and if, you know, if yeah. I'm like, man, if this tweet could upset anybody or if there's a chance that one person might not just, uh, you know, think this tweet was mean spirited or was, was going to be taken the wrong way. I just don't do it. It's just, yeah. it's just not worth it. So, um, I, I wish there was less social media, but it's not going away. So, you know, Twitter is a very vital to what we do because, uh, you know, it's a portal for a lot of people to get access to our stories and our links. So it, it's really a necessity for us. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to be Barbara Walters here, but I mean, maybe one of the most poignant or, or tweets that you made, uh, that choked me up the most was, uh, the day that your mom passed away. Do you remember, uh, tweeting that out something, something to the effect of hug your mom's? Yeah, I do. It, yeah, that was uh, yeah uh, last April, and it was just uh, you know I, I debated whether or not to do that, but it, a lot of people had known that I'd been that she was sick and th that I had been going through that, and, and it was a good way to let a lot of people know at the same time, and also that I was going to be out of pocket for you know t two or three weeks while you know we uh, we dealt with all that and. And a lot of the followers you get to know that, you know, you interact with them a lot. You don't know their names, but you know their handles. And, it was, you know, it's nice. To, yeah. So it was nice to, you know, you know, let those guys know, you know, what's going on in your personal life a little bit. And this had been weighing you down. And and uh, yeah, so 
Um, and I got a lot of nice messages about that. And that wasn't the goal. I just kind of wanted to let you know people know what what had been going on and that I was going to be away from the team for a while. And, and yeah, go, you know, go hug your moms and, you know, call up your dad and you, you, you know, you just, yeah, you just never know when you'll get the last chance to do that. Who was kind of your mentor when, when you were kind of, you, you mentioned you were with the Houston post to begin with. And if people don't know about the Houston post, that was kind of uh, the afternoon version of the Chronicle, wasn't it? Yeah, for a while it was, and then they were both morning papers. But when I was growing up, the, Houston was a two-paper town. So we at home, at our house, we got the Post. I don't know why that was, but, you know, my dad was a Post reader. And so that's what I read growing up, and that's kind of, you know, what led me to work there. When I was, uh, you know, I got a chance to get a part-time job at the Post. It was weird going up there. I would go up there on Friday nights to help with high school football, and they would say, you know, pick a desk to sit at. I would sit at a desk, and it would belong to, you know, belong to like Chris Half, who covered the Astros. I'm like, wow, this is Chris Half's desk, or you know, yeah. Mickey Herskowitz sits over there, it's and it was it was kind of like seeing the locker of your you know favorite baseball player. But I'll tell you one person who helped me when I really started covering the Astros in '04 uh, was Richard Justice, and mm. he's I get the feeling he sort of took me under his wing a little bit, and I had a lot of candid candid conversations with him through the years of how I was covering things, you know. Uh, times when I was frustrated, you know, what can I do better or, you know, how can I cultivate this source? And, you know, he was a big influence on that. Another one was Neil Holfeld, who covered the Astros for 10 years from uh, 70, I think from 85 through 95 for the Chronicle. And and when I started, the Chronicle was put on the Astros. I was very uncomfortable because Neil Holfeld still worked at the Chronicle, but he had been sort of demoted to cover other things. And they would bring him out sometimes to help with the coverage. And I'm out here writing the main story and Neil's doing what they call a cider. And I was like, this should be the other way around. But Neil made it very comfortable and was very supportive and helpful. And, uh, you know, I, I had to work, you know, hard to gain some respect from him, but, you know, to have him, you know, pat me on the back and, you know, say, good job, kid, you know, that, that meant a lot coming from a, a veteran reporter like that. What about advice to a sports loving kid? Let's face it, I'm not everybody's going to be a professional player. So what advice would you give to a kid who's thinking about doing what you do? Yeah, well, I would tell them, you know, to definitely pursue it. I mean, it's it's really different than when I was coming up just with all the social media now. And, um, you know, it's, it's a total different job than it used to be. But, you know, I think I would still tell anybody who's passionate about writing or storytelling uh, that wanted to be in the game to pursue it. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to, to get a low paying job or a no paying job early in your career. One of the big things for me is, is making contacts and networking. Mm. I think that is so invaluable because, you know, I was told a lot of times who, you know, is more important than what, you know, and I think it's very important in this business, a job comes open and, you know, you know, maybe they, instead of, you know, putting out a search, they, they call you because they know you or you know somebody, you know the managing editor or you know the sports editor. Gotcha. And they call you and just offer you a job off the bat. You have to be prepared and, and ready to take that job, so you have to know your stuff. But I think networking is just so important in, in getting to know people and, and making good impressions. And uh, I, I think that's probably where I would start. And I do, you know, I do, some people ask me for advice and, you know, I'm, and that's sort of what I tell them is just to learn as much as you can, read the people you respect and, um, and get to know as many people as you can in the business. So Robert Ford, my, my partner, as you well know, he gets demo reels or tapes from young people in the business 
seeing if they, they'll critique. Do people write things and have you critique them? Yeah, that's pretty rare, but I do get emails sometimes or I'll, I'll get something on Twitter. And yeah, if, if I know it's just not complete, uh, somebody is just wanting to rant about some nonsense, you know, I'll give it a read and it's pretty rare. You know, I, I, it's more rare for me to get an email of, of somebody in college, you know, looking for some advice or, or where to start out and things like that. But um, yeah, there have been times where writers have sent me stuff and, you know, I've been happy to go through it and, and give them some pointers and, and things like that. And, and one of the, one of the, I, I remember I ran into two guys, um, I think it was at FanFest. I ran into a, a young man who wanted to be a writer. Um, and one of the, I guess one of the things people don't understand about writers is that we have to be objective. We're not fans of the teams we cover. Right. Um, we don't come to the ballpark dressed in Astros gear and, and things like that. So <laughs> there was, yeah. So we're at FanFest and there's a kid on the concourse, probably a college age kid, and you know, comes up to me and he says that, you know, he wants to be a sports writer and, and cover the Astros. I'm like, I said that'd be great. So I give him some advice, and one of the things I told him is, get rid. I, to get rid of get ready to get rid of your fandom because you have to be objective and you have to put your story first so did you're not going to be able it did i said you're not going to be able to wear your astros gear to the press box or cheer if they win your your number one objective is going to be to write the right story tell the story write the right angle um i said so if you're prepared to do that i said go for it so um and that you know i think that's one of the things that looking looking back on it is you sort of get, you sort of lose your fandom. You get numb to the wins and losses, and it's just, it's just a job. But it's, it's a great job. But I think people getting into the business, you know, might not understand that. Is if you're a huge baseball fan, um, you know, you can still watch the game, being in the media, and love it. But as far as your fandom and, and going nuts about a team, you sort of have to check that at the door. That's funny. Hey, what story would you submit to an employer if you were looking for a job to show your best work? Does any story stand out more than any other? You know, we, we, we have we used to have what we call clips where because you would take articles out of the newspaper that you wrote and you would clip them, you know, clip out the article and make a copy and put them in a file. You call it a clip file. So if you interviewed for a job, you would send your cover letter, resume and your clips. It's been so long since I put clips together and they're not, not really clips nowadays. They're probably Internet links. But I think anything from I think anything from big events, anything from the World Series, uh, one of the stories I was most proud of was was game seven of the world series in 2017 okay. i actually wrote a i knew i was going to have to like write this story if the astros won that encompassed everything about the franchise's history mm -hmm. you know going back to the colt 45s and you know what this meant for the city so i get to the ballpark at dodger stadium well before game seven i get there really early probably one one in the afternoon for a night game and i write this long story just in case the astros win and then i can fill in the details of how they won the game. So I was very proud of this story. And about two hours before first pitch, I'm, I'm reading through this story. We're, we're jammed in the press box at Dodger Stadium. So it's an older yeah. stadium. The press box yep. is tight. <clears throat> a colleague sits down next to me with this cup of coffee. And the cup, oh, no. yeah, he's not there 30 seconds. And that coffee is on my computer. Oh my gosh. And this is before the biggest game I will cover in my life. And so I pick up the computer and coffee is like dripping out of the keyboard. And I'm like, uh oh. And so oh I frantically, gosh. I'm trying to save this story. Now, computer goes blue, goes black. It's done. <laughs> and so you the lost colleague, it. I lost it. 
the computer, I don't have a computer now, and this whole story is gone. And so the colleague, which I won't mention, is like, you know, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, it was an accident. I'm like, yeah, I know, but you just really <laughs> messed me up here. Oh my so I scramble to the auxiliary press box and borrow a computer from one of my editors. And so I start this story again from scratch, the top of my head, and I ended up writing it again. And I think it was probably actually better. Um, ended up getting to use it that night because the Astros won. And I think the Astros actually put that in their the story is actually in their media their 2018 media guide. Really? Um, at the at the top of it, yeah, at the beginning, it just sort of encapsulates everything about the season and, and winning the World Series and what it meant for the entire franchise. So that's one that just because of the you know Game Seven of the World Series and and growing up all my life and watching the Astros, getting to write that story that they won the World Series, I think, is one I'll always be proud of, and especially because I had to do it twice. <laughs> wow, that's a great story, man. It's kind of a lesson, too, at the same time. It's like, all right, you can still do it again. True. I mean, that was you're, you're doing it under pressure now. It's also a lesson to put lids on drinks. That's the biggest <laughs> takeaway. <laughs> and not just coffee. Right. Anything. So now I'm very worried. If you're, if you're close to me with a, a drink, I'm, I'm picking up my computer and moving it. I had uh, four words as descriptions for you uh, when I was going to introduce you as a writer, a cougar. There's no doubt about that because you, you always talk about the U of H Cougars, a singer, which I'm not sure a lot of people know about. <laughs> Plenty of people do, uh, but you're you're hot on the karaoke scene, but also an impersonator. And one of the things that we love to to listen to a lot when you come in the booth or you're a guest on our, our pregame show or whatever is is when you imitate Nolan Ryan. Uh, did you imitate Nolan when you were younger? Not really. It's not something I really started doing to probably like five, four or five years ago. Um, I think I, you know, he's do, doing some commercials for whatever the foundation repair place. And, and I did it for somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds just like Nolan. And, you know, next thing I'm probably doing it way too much. I probably, I probably come into the booth and do that. And y'all probably like, oh, not the Nolan Ryan impersonation again. <laughs> but, uh. I started doing it for people and, and people thought it was really hilarious just uh, with that Southern drawl and that a little bit of uh, I don't care, John Wayne attitude. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a fun one to do for sure. I think the funniest thing about any kind of impersonations is, is when they're not exactly perfect, but when they're exaggerated. And I think that's what you, you do better than anything. <laughs> uh, is it putting you on the spot too much to give us a, just a little taste? <clears throat> no, let me just clear my throat here a little bit. <clears throat> Give you a Nolan, Nolan Ryan. Let's see. There you go. All right. All right. You want to ask me a question as Nolan Ryan and I'll okay. answer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nolan, do you ever enter any talent shows as a kid? Well, Sparky, I think that when I was growing up in Alvin, Texas, there really weren't a lot of talent shows. I think that, that people wanted to go out and earn a living and work hard. And we really didn't have time to go out and have any nonsense like talent shows, but... I think if I could do anything like that, it probably would have been playing the harmonica. I really think that that was going to be a big part of my career coming up. That's outstanding. Good, <laughs> good job. All right, I've got a couple more questions for you. Brian McTaggart, uh, favorite U of H athlete of all time. So I'm not going to pin it on oh. basketball, track and field, anything like that. I mean, they're known for a lot of great athletes to come out of there. Do you have a favorite? Well, yeah, it's Akeem Olajuwon and just – because he's probably my favorite Houston athlete of all time just because he played here so long. But, yeah, watching him in the five slam jamma for three years and then yeah, going right to the Rockets. I remember as, as a kid in junior high, 
when the back then the you decided the top pick in the NBA draft by coin toss. So the two teams that had the worst records would flip a coin. And so the Rockets uh, were one of the two teams that could have had the first pick. And the first pick was going to be Elijah one. And I remember I was in junior high. It happened during the day. And I remember the coach, Coach Crampin, coming up and knocking on the door of one of my classes and giving the thumbs up through the window to me, telling me the Rockets won the coin flip and they were getting a Kim Olajuwon. Uh, and so getting to watch him with the Rockets for the next 20 years was a thrill. But, yeah, definitely the dream. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I enjoy uh, a certain time of day, Brian, whenever I get to the ballpark. Uh, but I enjoy having written everything I need in my scorebook. I spent time with both managers and a few players. I submitted my recorded interview uh, for the pregame show. A lot of times that's you. But then I can fully relax and just enjoy the call when I've got all that stuff ready. Uh, and that's my par favorite part of the day. Do you have a favorite part of the day at Minute Maid Park? Yeah, I do. I think it, it's sort of similar. I think it's uh, when I get done with all my pregame stuff and you interview the manager and you can sort of just stand on the field, watch batting practice. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not under a lot of time pressure. There's not a lot going on. Or you can go up to the press box and watch batting practice. And then when they clear the, the shell, the, the, the cage away, and everyone's off the field and they they line the field and get it ready. I mean, it's just so perfect. And it's the field just sits there perfect for the next 10, 15 minutes before, you know, the game starts. And that's just such a that's such a calming, calming time. And the music's playing and there's no one yeah. on the field and the field is just, you know, it's just uh, it's just perfection. And you just you don't know what's going to happen over the next three hours. And you start to uh, hear Bob Ford's voice over the public address. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, guys start trickling on the field to play catch. And uh, yeah, that's a that's just such a, a calming part of the day as the, as the game gets started. You know, things get a little more busy for me as a writer and you guys, too. And you get wrapped up in your work a lot. But just to be able to sit there and, and you know, watch the field and the calmness of everything is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Last question. And this is more uh, because you and I have talked about this probably personally more than any anything else but who's your favorite sitcom character of all time well you know, you know where i'm going with this one this will be an easy one <laughs> it's uh doug heffernan of king of queens yeah. played by kevin james that i mean uh, we talk about this all the time for me that is he's just the funniest uh i don't know what just, he i don't know if he's it's just, just stupid funny i mean you can turn off your brain and just laugh that's it for me yeah and it's relatable a lot of times how he gets himself into trouble and then yeah. you know tries to talk his way out of some you know, silly situation, whatever it is, uh, you still, you could flip right now and it would be on like back-to-back -back reruns somewhere. And I'll, I mean, I'll sit there and watch it, especially now it's, there's so much other stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Just put on King of Queens for 30 minutes and laugh my head off is, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's hilarious. For me, Tags, uh, that's what the, we kind of wanted to do with this, this Astropod ed edition or this episode was kind of get away from baseball. And it's so volatile anyway, and it's changing day to day. And, especially with the pandemic and some of the players uh, contracting the virus. I just want to talk to you about another profession uh, in, in baseball and, and with somebody that uh, respect and, and that I enjoy spending time with. So thanks so much for doing this. I know a lot of the, the Astros fans out there are really going to enjoy it. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. You got it. And don't forget, uh, the team stores are now open. That's 9 to 5, Mondays through Fridays. Also 9 to 2 on Saturday, and the Astros also have – Restarted their ballpark tours, and that includes one on Saturday nights at 9.30. They call that the ghost tour. So 
So that'll do it for me. Uh, it's another episode of Astropod. Not exactly sure where we're going uh, past this and still a lot of speculation on what's going to go on with Major League Baseball, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get through things. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. That was Brian McTaggart of MLB.com. See you later! Whether it's at the ballpark or at home. That ball's smoked to center field. Thanks to all the frontline workers. Thanks to those sacrificing that. Soon we can cheer together. Together. Stay safe, Houston.